Well, good morning, everybody. Got a special treat for you this morning. I want to I wanna get right into it to give him as much time as possible, but uh, the speaker this morning is going to be Oshiwandera. Some of you know him. He was here last year. He stayed with us for a little while. He spoke here last year, so we're so glad to have him. He's coming all the way from Uganda, Kampala. He recently planted a church in Gulu, and I think when, I was, when Donald and I were there last time, we went to Gulu, if I'm not mistaken. I think we... At, yeah, we went through there. We drove like six or nine hours back down to Kampala, and we drove through the jungle, and a baboon jumped in my car and stole one of my mangoes. And, uh, but Ashi ta- taught me a lot about uh, African cuisine down there when we were in the refugee camps. He sat beside me as I devoured an entire chicken that still had the eggs on the inside of it, and it was quite delicious. I ate the whole thing. And, uh, and, uh, and that was after eating some goat and some goat innards. So it was quite a day. And, uh, but, but Ashi knows good food. He loves the Lord. He's a, he's a brilliant man. I was speaking with him last night just about some things. that we, We've been speaking about, uh, about the church the past few sermons. About, uh, and, and you know, the church, obviously, it's, it's local and global. It's worldwide. There's one church, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. And so, you know, we want to we wanna always understand what the church is, and what God's called the church to be, but it's global. And so we, we want to help churches be planted in other places. And Ashi's going, actually starting to plant another church in Entebbe, uh, closer to where he lives. So, so we just want to welcome him up. Come on, come on up, Ashi, and give him a hand while he, while he comes up. Hey. Trust me, I, I, I won't preach like a Ugandan, so I won't preach for two hours, because back home, I know Brother Alan Bray knows that we preach for long, but I, I promise I won't do that. <laughs> I am very, very excited to be here. Uh, I, I consider this home, even though I support University of Alabama. <laughs> I hope you guys won't stone me, but you lost the game yesterday, so I have a right to support University of Alabama because you lost the game yesterday. (laughs) I'm just kidding, but I'm glad. I'm glad to be here. You know, um, it's an honor. Uh, I know a couple of people by name. Uh, I have another family here, the Whitehead family, Travis, uh, Tikita, Ty, and Titus. Of course, Brother Alan Bray and Justin Bray. Um, of course, my papa, Pastor Donald Sims, uh, who, has a, who has had a huge impact on my life, you know. And then, of course, my brother, Clay Bishop, and Andrea, his wife, uh, Sister Tina Nelson, and uh, her husband. I'm trying to mention some names. Yes, I see Mr. Bishop. There, behind, uh, um, uh, who else? Brian Colville. How do I forget that? Uh, of course, Forrest is here. Um, I'm trying to remember the names I know. Uh, let me stop here so I don't mess up other names. But I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here. The guys, the tech team, thank you. The worship team did awesome, like awesome the worship was 
over the top, if you know what I mean. You know, so uh, thank you so much. Um, I come from Uganda. Some of you have heard about Uganda. Some of you have been to Uganda. And I lead a ministry called Crystal Covenant Missions. We are based in uh, Uganda, East Africa. Uh, I am married. I have a wife. Her name is Martha. I have two children. Uh, the girl is called Janessa, and the boy is called Jezreel. The girl will be making four years in June, and the boy will be making two years in January. Uh, I don't know how we're going to communicate with the slides, but maybe I'll give you a signal. Next slide. So the ministry that I lead uh, was able to do mentorship sessions for pastors and leaders in the refugee camps. Uganda is hosting 1.4 million refugees right now from South Sudan, and uh, Apostle Donald Sims has been there. Um, he has been in that camp, you know, preaching the gospel, and so has Clay Bishop. So uh, between the time I was here and the time I went back home, uh, we were able to mentor pastors and leaders that have, are serving in the churches, churches that have been planted by Henry, Vast Grace Missions. Many of you know Henry. He's been here a couple of years before. Uh, so we go down in the camps and mentor pastors and leaders at least once a month. And also last year, actually this year, we were able to have a pastors and leaders conference quite different from uh, the mentorship sessions. This pastors and leaders conference was uh, geared at, uh, towards equipping them, you know, empowering them, encouraging them, equipping them, training them. And we gathered over 200 pastors and leaders from around the refugee camps. And we had a very good, uh, a very good turn up and very good time of the ministry. Also, apart from that, uh, we were able to distribute uh, 2,205 pounds of corn flour. Of course, our corn is kind of different. Our corn is white. And uh, we pound it in a mill, and we, got, we get flour. So those guys in the refugee camps, each of them gets one bag like that for 30 days. So they live on that for 30 days. You know, and it's not enough. Those are big families, eight people, 10 people, and they have to feed on that bag of corn flour for 30 days. That's what Wild Food Program is able to give them. So we were able to go there in the month of May and we gave them some food um, and also about 441 pounds of sugar kind of helped them, you know, have something to eat alongside what they get from... Uh, uh, the relief uh, organizations. And also, last, uh, I think it was last year, as soon as I got back home, I graduated from uh, a remarkable leadership institute in my country because I think that, you know, we have a problem of leadership in my country. And uh, Pastor Donald is a great fan of John Maxwell. John Maxwell says that everything rises and falls on leadership. So if, if I am trained as a leader in my country, understanding the context of my people, then I can fully be effective as a leader 
in my context. So I, I thought it was prudent for me to go back to school and uh, do a leadership course and be able to be more effective in my country and help my people. So that happened last year. And then, of course, at the same time, in, the, in March of this year, I was able to write a book. I published a book, and I have some copies. This special copy that I've prayed over is for the man of God of the house. Uh, in my country, um, we, we love recognizing an anointing on someone's life. And actually, my book is about honor, you know? So I don't uh, call him Apostle Donald Sims because I want to, you know, pamper him or exalt him or give him a title, but I'm recognizing the anointing on his life. I'm recognizing the gift of God on his life, you know? Uh, I'm, I'm honoring the anointing on him. So don't be offended if I call him that because... I'm, I'm honoring him. I'm, I'm allowing him to be an apostle in my life. I'm, I'm giving him a right to be an apostle to me. Do you, do you guys understand? So actually, my book is about honor. It's about honor, you know? Uh, recognizing the grace upon each individual, you know? Uh, recognizing it's more than spiritual authority. It's, it's, a, it's relational. Honor is relational. It's between... The leaders and the people. You know, years ago, churches emphasized spiritual authority, submission, and it was all about you guys submitting to us. And we misused that. But with a culture of owner, everybody's included. It's a two-way traffic. That's what my book is really about. So this particular copy is uh, for, uh, let me see. Yes, Apostle Donald Sims, please. This book is yours. You're welcome. You're welcome. And uh, this second copy is for Pastor Clay Bishop and Andrea. You're welcome. And if, if you don't want to buy my book, at least buy it because Clay wrote an endorsement for me. So that can be a reason. <laughs> Yeah, but, but it's, it's really an awesome book. Like, seriously, it's a good book. Uh, Clay has gone through it. It's, it's really good. It's not a booklet. It's in English. It's a tremendous book. And especially for this kind of church that is involved in missions, apostolic work, prophetic ministry, this book is going to be uh, like an instrument uh, for the church, for the kingdom. But besides that, when you buy... This book, you are actually supporting my family because I am the author. I have the copyright to the book. So when you buy the book, you're supporting my family, you know, as a minister of the gospel because this is what I do. I, I'm a preacher. I'm a minister. I'm a church planter. So as you buy the book, you're going to be supporting my family. And I have a number of copies outside there. I'll be signing them for you if you can come. And I think in about a month, we'll have a copy on Amazon. If you guys that, you know, are interested in Kindle, you'll be able to purchase the book. I'll have the link on my Facebook wall um, a few weeks from now. All right. So the, the, the launch was very successful. We had about 100 people came over and 
I sold 100 copies of the book. Now, in my country, if somebody buys 100 copies of your book, that's huge because the reading culture is really low. We are trying to encourage people to read more. So for my kind of launch, 100 copies sold, that was good because we had coverage on national TV stations, two of them, like the national TV stations in the country, and an FM station, and a Christian website, and uh, it's, it's, it was pretty good, and uh, I, really, I really bless God. And of course, we launched a church. We launched a church in May in the city of Gulu. These guys have talked about it. I don't have to talk about it so much. And then next year, uh, next year in about May, we'll be launching another one. All right. And then uh, besides that, I want us to share the word. Because I, I, wa I want to give a lot of time to the word. Some minutes, not hours, but a few minutes to the word. To kind of build on uh, what has been going on right now. Can we just bow our heads down and pray? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your spirit because he is here. Your spirit is here and uh, we honor your spirit that is working in our lives. We ask you to speak to us and give us an understanding of what the church really is. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray and believe. Amen. So I want to share about the ecclesia. Uh, in my country, when you say ecclesia, so many people think of the Catholic Church. Because that is the local word they use. They don't say it like in English, ecclesia. They speak it locally, keresia. You know, I, don't, I know you don't understand that, but they speak it locally. So if I would preach a sermon called ecclesia in Uganda, in that central region, some people might not understand but you guys can relate because uh, uh, this word doesn't necessarily mean the Catholic Church. It is just a word that the translators of the Bible kind of mistranslated to mean the church. And uh, a small section of Bible scholars, researchers, uh, historians, they think that the New Testament especially the, the, the Gospels were written in Aramaic. And then as people began to copy the copies and to reach a wider audience, they wrote in Greek. Because the Gospels, when you read the Gospels, you'll find in so many instances, Aramaic phrases are left the way they are. They do not translate them either to English or to Greek. Even when you read the Greek New Testament, those Aramaic phrases like when Jesus went to Jairus' house and said, Talitha Kumi, that's Aramaic. The most relatable movie I can talk about is The Passion of the Christ. They didn't speak Greek in that movie. They were speaking Aramaic, not even Hebrew. Because where Jesus lived in Capernaum, that is what they spoke. Of course, Jesus was... Literate. He knew how to read and write. He spoke a couple of languages. He spoke Koine Greek. He spoke Hebrew. He spoke Aramaic. You know? So, and he knew how to write. Because remember, John chapter 8, he wrote down on the ground. You know? So, uh, these languages were common. Now, the word ecclesia is the Greek exact translation 
of the exact word Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 16. And that is what I want to share about the ecclesia. And of course, the first image in, in a Greek city, the ecclesia met in such, let me call it an arena or um, like an amphitheater. So the ecclesia would meet in such a place. And the Greek, when they were translating the exact word Jesus used in Aramaic, they called it an ecclesia. And that's what I want to break down uh, this morning. Uh, next slide. So the Encyclopedia Britannica describes ecclesia as a gathering of those summoned. A gathering of those summoned. Remember the first image? They used to summon this selected group of people from the city and they would gather in this amphitheater, in this ecclesia. So it was a gathering of those summoned. But that encyclopedia doesn't stop there. It says, ecclesia became cotaminous with a body of male citizens, 18 years of age or over, and had final control over policy. Policy, that's legislation, including the right to hear appeals in the public court, that is judiciary, take part in the election of chief magistrates, that's executive, and confer special privileges on individuals. So the ecclesia wasn't a small group of weak people. It was a group of influencers. People who had a say in the city, in a Greek city. So they didn't just use this word loosely in the Greek New Testament to call the body of believers an ecclesia. It wasn't a word that was used loosely like we use the word church. And I, I've been thinking while seated there that if, if we closed City of Hope Church today, but then we ask you not to attend any other church during the time of closure. Would we survive as a body? Would we survive as a local body? Why? Why wouldn't we survive? Because we are so inward-minded. We, we are so tied up by these four walls of the church that we are losing the true meaning of our role in society our role in the kingdom, our role in this world. So we are even afraid of not, of not having church on a Sunday morning. We are afraid of not having church on a Sunday morning because sitting in a church, and I, I'm, I've come to think, Clay, that Constantine did more worse than good for introducing this kind of setting that we are in today. The kind of coming, we come and sit, and there's this one big guy seated over the pulpit, speaking to you guys, and then you guys are listening. The ecclesia, everyone participated. Everyone was part of what was going on. These guys, this called out group, this summoned group, they would come and they had a say. They had final control over policy, legislation, 
how the city should be run, including the right to hear appeals in the public court. That is the judiciary. And also take part in the election of chief magistrates and confer special privileges on individuals. Those are executive roles. That was the role of the ecclesia. So when the New Testament, the Greek New Testament, calls the body of Christ an ecclesia, that is more than just a Sunday service. It is more than just us coming here and we receive a sermon and go back, come back the following Sunday. I mean, we are just consuming, consuming, consuming the gospel and we are not impacting the world at all. Because we think that the work of the kingdom is for Clay Bishop and Donald Sims and a few other guys who are in ministry, in courts. And there's a problem. As the church, especially in the West, of course, in Africa, we have our own problems and we are trying to deal with them. But I'm showing you, when the church shifted from a kingdom mindset to a corporate mindset, something went wrong along the way. If we look at the church, I mean, somebody will leave a church, go and work in another church. They call it a transition, but actually, it's a change of jobs. It's not a call. It's a change of jobs. And he will say, and I'm not attacking anyone, but I'm trying to show you that this pastor will say, I'm in transition. Okay? But the transition is actually a change of job and a rise in salary. An increase in the paycheck. Because the corporate mindset is teaching us to climb ladders, even in the church. Even in the church. So as we are dealing with those issues as an African church, the West also has to deal with those issues, trying to shift our mindset from this corporate mindset that has come into the church. When we look at the kingdom, the church as another corporate organization. If you know what I mean. We are not a corporate organization. We are kingdom. We are not a Fortune 500 company. We are kingdom. We are an ecclesia. And we should have a say. We are supposed to influence society. So the ecclesia is not, is, is not a corporate organization. It is, it is a force. It is an influence. You know? Next slide. Now look at that. So the assembly was this called out ones. They would come from the city. They would come and meet in these arenas and deliberate on issues. They would talk. They would decide. They would decide over policy, over magistrates, over staff. I mean, these guys were the actual ruling body of a Greek city, the ecclesia. So if we are the ecclesia. We are not just a company surviving, but if we are the ecclesia, the kingdom of God on earth, people who bear the life of God, then really something has to be different about us and about how we relate with the world, our influence over the world. Our influence over the world should go beyond the four walls of this church. 
Because we are an assembly. We are the called out ones. So in the Old Testament, God calls the nation of Israel from slavery. He calls them out. In Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is giving his speech, Stephen calls the children of Israel an assembly. Why? Because they had been called out. And then they became an assembly. It is the same thing, the same word. The same Hebrew word for an assembly is the exact Aramaic word for assembly or congregation. The congregation in the wilderness. Called out ones. They had been called out of slavery on the move, of course, to Canaan. But remember, wherever they went, they impacted, they influenced. I mean, Rahab says, our nation, we are afraid of you guys. We heard of your fame and we freaked out. Because the ecclesia was coming. It was on the move and every nation had to bow down. For this ecclesia, for this assembly, for this church of God in the wilderness that is coming, that is approaching. But you know how we act? We are weak. We've been silenced. We don't speak anything. We compromise. We are scared. I mean, we are the ecclesia. We are the ecclesia. So I want to, I want to read a very familiar scripture and I believe this scripture has already been talked about here during this month. I want us to read uh, Matthew 16, Matthew 16, 18. And I'm going to use Wild English Bible Translation, Young's Literal Translation, Amplified Bible, Complete Jewish Bible, and other sources from the internet to redefine Matthew 1618. Are you with me? So it says, I also tell you that, okay, let me first pause. No Bible translation is perfect. I guess all of you know that. Every Bible translation has drawbacks. You know? So you can't really rely on one translation to get the exact meaning of a scripture. And that is why I kind of gathered this verse from different translations. So let's read. Can we read together? Is it, is it okay for us to read together? Of course, I'll read in my accent, an African accent. You will read in uh, the southern accent, okay? So, but let's, <laughs> let's read it together, okay? I also tell you that you are Peter, Greek, Petros, a piece of a rock or stone. And on this rock, the Greek is Petra, a rock, mass, or bedrock, I will build my assembly, brackets, people, community, either scattered or together, congregation, assembled together for the purpose of testifying, instructing in a matter of law, or to call a witness to testify, and the gates of heads will not prevail against it. Now, that's very different from how we know it. Very different. Why? Greek, the Greek word for Peter is Petros, a piece of a rock or stone. And on this rock, 
the Greek changes the word and calls that Petra, a mass, a bedrock, like the bigger piece. A mass, a bedrock of, of, of a bedrock. And then he says, I will build my assembly. People, community. We talk about community. Either scattered, like in China, or gathered together. A congregation assembled together. We don't just assemble. We assemble for a purpose. We assemble to go. We gather to go. We don't just gather for the sake of gathering. We gather with a purpose. We gather with an intention of going out to influence society. So, they assemble together for the purpose of testifying, instructing in a matter of law, or to call a witness to testify. And then the result is the gates of hell cannot prevail for, to such an assembly that is determined not to just meet, but they are determined. They are determined to testify, that's evangelism, to instruct, that is teaching, or to call a witness to testify. And then the gates of hell cannot prevail against that assembly. Can I have the next uh, slide? I want to redefine Joel chapter 2. Because when I read the Old Testament, there is nothing, no scripture that, that I find as interesting and more self-explanatory for the Ecclesia than Joel chapter 2. Of course, most of you know Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. In those days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. You guys are familiar with that, all right? So I want us to redefine Joel chapter 2. In understanding the Ecclesia. Are you with me? So I'm going to use different translations. That's why all the scriptures are in the slide. So that we get, like, we get a good understanding. So Joel chapter 2 verse 1 says, Blow the ram's horn, trumpet in Zion. Trumpet the alarm on my holy mountain. Shake the country up. God's judgment is on its way. The day is almost here. Verse 2. A day of darkness and gloominess. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come. Great and strong. The like of whom has never been. Nor will there ever be any such after them. Even for many successive generations. Next. A fire devours before them. And behind them a flame burns. The land is like the garden of Aden before them. And behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Verse 4. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses. And like war horses and horsemen, so do they run. With a noise like chariots over mountaintops, they leap. Like the noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble. Like a strong people set in battle array. At the sight of them, nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. Verse 7. The invaders charge. They climb barricades. Nothing stops them. Each soldier does what is told. So disciplined, so determined. They don't get in each other's way. Each one knows his job and does it. Undaunted and fearless. 
unswerving, unstoppable. They storm the cities, swarm its defenses, loot the houses, breaking down doors, smashing windows. They arrive like an earthquake, sweep through like a tornado. Sun and moon turn out their lights. Stars black out. I want us to go back a little bit to the very first verse. Joel chapter 2 verse 1. I think about three, three uh, slides back. Okay. So the Bible says, Blow the ram's trumpet horn in Zion. Trumpet the alarm on my holy mountain. Shake the country up. God's judgment is on its way. That day is almost here. So, many Bible scholars, commentaries, when they are commenting about Joel chapter 2, verse 1 to 7, they throw this event in the future. All the reputable Bible commentaries you're going to read on this particular portion of scripture, Joel chapter 2, verse 1 to 7, they throw this event in the future. But this same chapter, Joel chapter 2, has the event, the prophecy of the Holy Spirit in verses 28, 29 to 32. Bible commentaries, I mean reputable Bible commentaries, they separate those two events as two different things. But let me, let me try to show you something. So when the Bible says the day is almost here, the Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Joel 2.1 says, the day is almost here. Because it hadn't yet arrived. When that day was fully come, in Acts 2.1, it says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come. So, Joel chapter 2 verse 1 and Acts chapter 2 verse 1, they tie into each other very well, as I'm going to prove to you. So, it says, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. The disciples were worried. They were scared. He had lived with them, died, and they scattered. And then he resurrects, gathers them, and then goes away. Leaves them in a confusion. So that day they were praying in the, in the upper room, it was, it was a day of darkness for them. It was a gloomy day for them. Because they had waited for 40 days and the promise of the Father wasn't coming. So it wasn't, like, it wasn't merry. It wasn't, it wasn't a good day for them. It was a gloomy day. That day they received the Holy Spirit. It was a day of darkness. It was a day of gloom for them. Then the Bible says, uh, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. Nothing else is going to be bigger than the ecclesia. The ecclesia is the final formation of God's kingdom. Nothing will ever be like it, even after many successive generations. That ecclesia is here. It is strong. It has come. The like of whom has never been. The Bible calls it the mystery. It was a mystery that God, you know, hid 
from many scholars, from many historians, until the day the Holy Spirit came and this ecclesia was born. Nor will there ever be any such after them. God doesn't have any other plan of the kingdom. It is the ecclesia. The ecclesia is God's final thought for humanity. The ecclesia that Christ built is God's final thought for humanity. Even for so many successive generations. Verse 3 says, A fire devolves before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the garden of Aden. And surely, the last line says, And surely nothing shall escape them. That is what happened to the Romans, the Roman Empire. Wherever this ecclesia went, nothing escaped them. No wonder a certain Pharisee named Saul rose up to persecute the ecclesia because it was devouring entire cities. It was burning like a, uh, like, uh, a fire, like a wildfire. Nothing escaped the ecclesia. Wherever it went, it was a threat. The ecclesia was a threat. Verse 4 says, their appearance is like the appearance of horses. And like war horses and horsemen, so do they run. The ecclesia, they are not horses. They just appear like horses. Now, horses in this scripture is just a metaphor. It is a type. The scripture is trying to uh, compare the ecclesia to a horse. Why? Because a horse, a war horse has its own characteristics, as I will explain. So the Bible says, with a noise like chariots over mountain tops. What does Acts 2 say? And there was heard a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. That is how the Spirit came. So when verse 4 talks about with a noise like chariots, Joel hears chariots. Look as he writes. He hears he hears a noise like a sound of mighty wind rushing in. Both of them are just trying to explain the coming of the Holy Ghost on the ecclesia. And then the Bible says, like a strong people set in battle array. Why? These war horses are set in battle array to invade nations and kingdoms. At the sight of them, nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. Nations are in anguish. That's verse, verse 6. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, talks about the nations from verse 8 to 9. The nations that gathered, and we'll go through that list. Nations are in anguish. So on the day of Pentecost, nations had gathered, of course, to celebrate the Pentecost. But that was a setup from God to fulfill this prophecy of the ecclesia. Because at the start of the ecclesia, nations have to be set in anguish. At the coming of the ecclesia, every face turns pale. And then verse 7, the invaders charge. They climb barricades like nothing can stop them. Each soldier does what is told. So disciplined, they don't get in each other's way. All right, let us, let us jump because of time. And uh, let me read uh, verse 11. I think the next slide. It says, And the Lord utters his voice before his army, for his host is very great. And they are strong and powerful who execute God's word. 
For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can endure it? And what does the Bible say in Acts chapter 2? After Peter preached the word, what does the Bible say? And they were cut to the heart. Verse 37. They were cut to the heart and they said, Man, what can we do to be saved? For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. And who can endure it? And they are strong and powerful who execute God's word. So Peter stands up and executes God's word on the day of Pentecost. And the hearts of men are cut across. And they couldn't endure his preaching. And they had to repent. Now Zion and the holy mountain are synonymous with the ecclesia. The body of Christ here on earth. Psalm 87, 2-3 says, The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. So we have two entities in that book of Psalm. We look at Jacob and Zion. Jacob is the nation of Israel. Zion is the ecclesia. Zion is a metaphor of the ecclesia. Verse 13 of Psalm 102 says, You will arise and have compassion on Zion, for it's time to show favor upon her has come. The appointed time has come. And that was the day of Pentecost. The appointed day had come for God to show favor on the ecclesia. Of course, Psalm 46.6 is a confirmation that nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. Uh, let, us, let us go to the next slide because of time. So what are the nations that are gathered on the day of Pentecost? The Bible says, talks about Parthians, Meds, Elamites, Mesopotamians, Judeans, Cappadocians, Pontasians, Asians, Frisians, Pamphylians, Egyptians, Libyans, Romans, Hellenistic Jews, and Cretans. These were the nations that had gathered for something very different. But it was a setup for the fulfillment of this prophecy in the book of Joel. God had brought all these nations together to set them in an uproar. No wonder the Bible lists them. So it wasn't a mistake that these nations are mentioned in Acts chapter 2. They are the same nations that are spoken about in Joel chapter 2. We are all amazed when the day of Pentecost fully comes. So these nations that had gathered, they were amazed. They were shaken. You know, they were shaken. So when Peter stands up to preach, the next two slides. When Peter stands up to preach in Acts 2, 14 to 21, he quotes from Joel 2, 28 to 32. Same chapter. And then because we want to be true to the text, we separate those two events. You know, that's what theologians tell us. You must be true to the text. Don't read into the text. But these guys who preach the gospel of Christ would pick scriptures from the Old Testament out of context and use them. So the Bible is not, wasn't wrong 
to list down these nations because it was fulfillment of prophecy. So Joel chapter 1 is, sorry, chapter 2 is talking about the same thing, the ecclesia. It's talking about the kingdom of God on earth. Okay, and I want us to uh, go to the next slide and I make some explanations. So from verses 2 to 3 of Joel chapter 2, this is what we see. The ecclesia is here, great and strong, nothing like it, nothing will ever be like it. The rock in Daniel that fills the whole earth, the cornerstone that shatters the toes in Nebuchadnezzar's image. This is the ecclesia. Same thing that Daniel sees as a rock that fills the whole earth. Same thing that Paul calls the cornerstone. The cornerstone. So you might be wondering, okay, how about Acts chapter 2 verse 20 and Joel chapter 2 verse 30 to 32? Because there the Bible talks about the sun, moon, and stars not giving their light. Are you with me? Peter, when he quotes from Joel, he brings up the whole chunk of scripture. Including the sun, the moon, and stars being darkened and not giving their light. Are you with me? Okay? Now, that can set us in a confusion. But, the first time that the Spirit of God uses the stars, the sun, and the moon in relation to people was in Genesis 37. Joseph has a dream and the stars and the moon and the sun bowing down before him. And how is the dream interpreted? The 12 tribes of Israel. So when the Bible says, both in Joel chapter 2, 30 to 32, and Acts 2, 20, sun, moon, and stars not giving their light, it's a representation of the 12 tribes of Israel. And why? Because the nations that came on the day of Pentecost, the list we just went through, they were not real Jews per se. They were either Jews born abroad or they were Jews mixed race. But because they had Jewish roots in them, they, they always came to Jerusalem for, for feasts. This crowd in Acts chapter 2, the list that we just went through, are the actual people that actually got saved. The Jews, that real Jews living in Jerusalem, still rejected. Now, the Bible says in Romans 121, it talks about hearts being darkened. Have you come across that scripture? If you have a Bible, hearts, their foolish hearts being darkened. And then in uh, 2 Corinthians 4 6, the Bible talks about light as knowledge. So when the Bible says, because Peter quotes the same scripture in Joel chapter 2 and also pulls out the stars, the moon, and the sun being darkened. He doesn't leave it in Joel. He brings it out. But when Peter is starting his conversation, he says, this is what Joel talked about. This, what you're calling stupor, is what Joel talked about. 
And Peter was saying, this has come to pass in your ears. Even sun, moon, and stars being darkened. And what does that mean? When the ecclesia was born, Israel as a nation got darkened to the gospel. They rejected Christ as the Messiah. Their hearts were darkened. Not to give out any more knowledge, any more light as a nation of Israel. And then because uh, Ephesians 2.20 to 22, it says Christ is rebuilding. It's a process. He's rebuilding his church, his ecclesia on the foundation of apostles and prophets. It's a rebuilding. Why? Because he's gathering the same thing that happened on the day of Pentecost when nations came from around the world. The Spirit of God is gathering nations into the ecclesia. That is why the sun, moon, and stars cannot give their light today. The tables have turned over to the Gentiles until the time of the fulfillment of Scripture. Then the sun, moon, and stars will give their light. Am I speaking Spanish here? Are you guys with me? Are you, are you following me? So, this scripture means the nation of Israel, their eyes being darkened towards the gospel of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Why? 2 Corinthians 4, 6, light is knowledge. Romans 1, 21, hearts darkened. That is what happened, you know? Okay, so, the ecclesia with a metaphor of horses, Horses represent skill, order, vigor, faith, speed, strength, training, fearlessness, being equipped, discipline, submission, undaunted, self-control, unswerving, unstoppable, complementary, a culture of honor, subduing kingdoms, charisma, the Holy Ghost, relentlessness, Intentional invaders of subcultures and society. Kingdom-minded, not corporate-minded. Maintaining their courses. The ecclesia. It runs its race. Fulfills assignments. Sweeping through societies like a hurricane or a tornado. Influencing the executive, legislature, and the judiciary of nations. That's our role. That is our role as the ecclesia. One more last slide. Yes. So how? How do we influence society? Two men of God that have passed years ago, Bill Bright of Campus Crusade and Lauren Cunningham of Youth with a Mission, they came up with this thing called the Seven Mountains of Influence years and years ago. And they named these Seven Mountains of Influence as religion, family, education, Government, media, arts and entertainment, and business. The seven mountains of influence doesn't mean we have to Christianize them. Rather, we invade them. And we influence them. And we turn their hearts to the kingdom. So we come in this building to be equipped to go out 
in those seven mountains of influence and transform them. Transform these seven mountains of influence. Religion, family, education, government, media, arts and entertainment and business. That's our role as the ecclesia. We come to be equipped so we can go out. We gather for the purpose of going. We don't just gather for the sake of gathering. We gather to go. To go and influence these societies. We go to influence these societies. And a very final slide. Talks about diversity. Multicultural. Multigenerational. Non-racial. That's the ecclesia. When we can sit together as a family, deliberate, love on each other, pray on each other, then go out to influence society. Ask God to open up your eyes to show you your role in this world. How are you going to influence the marketplace? Politics, government, education. Let us organize a day and call the mayor of this city and pray over him. This takes away all the barriers. I am Democrat. I'm, 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 I'm a Republican. It takes them away. Can we stand up on our feet? I want you to ask God to show you your role as the ecclesia, your part to play in this great work of God. We're not just here for the sake of being here. We are here to influence society. We are here to cause a transformation as the ecclesia. We are not just a church. We are summoned to influence society. That's why we are here. I just, I just want you to close your eyes where you are and ask God to open your eyes, to show you your role. How can you, how can you help this county? How can you help Laurie County? How can you help? How can you help Manchester? How can you influence Manchester? There's a lot of drugs. Homelessness. Foster children. Hungry people. Drug users. Gender confusion. All these things. How, how can you be part of what God is doing in the world? You are the ecclesia. And God wants to use you to cause a transformation. And as you pray, I want to release some prophetic words that the Spirit of God has laid on my heart for Pastor Donald Sims. But the same prophetic words, Clay, apply to you also but directly they are for, for, for you as you get ready for this transition you're entering your function as an apostle to the nations and you're receiving a transfer of the anointing like Elisha received 
from Elijah, he received a double portion. And I see you receiving a double portion of the anointing, this apostolic mandate on your life. And it was because you chose to honor. You honored the man that God put in your life. And now God finds you qualified to take over from them. But you're not just taking over a ministry. You're taking over an inheritance. A spiritual inheritance. You're taking over an anointing. A double portion anointing. You are going to reap from where you did not labor. You're going to inherit houses you did not build. Relationships you did not create. You're not just taking over a ministry. You're taking over a life. You're taking over a legacy. You're taking over an inheritance. That has been prepared for years. But I also see that you have doubts and fears. You don't know how it's going to work out. How it's going to happen. And you keep wondering how it will really work out. But the Spirit of God is speaking to you that fear not, I have this covered. I have this secured. I have this rested. Actually, your life is going to be much better when you enter your function than it is now in terms of your family and your financial status as a man. Why? Because right now you're God's business. You are God's business. And the Spirit of God is bringing comfort to you. Those fears, those doubts, and those uncertainties about the future. The Spirit of God is causing peace and comfort over them. You're going to do double than what you did. I also see nations, newer nations opened up. Not the old nations where you have been but newer nations opening up for you because your influence is going to extend beyond borders across the nations where he was. You know what I'm talking about. But your influence is going to go way deeper than that. I see new nations opening up for you and the Spirit of God is asking you to embrace this function fully, wholeheartedly, all your heart because then the fullness of it will be realized thank you Lord thank you Jesus thank you Jesus Father we thank you for your spirit that is in our midst uh, this afternoon I thank you for City of Hope Church I release a blessing over them I ask you Holy Spirit to open up our eyes so we can see our role in the ecclesia how we're supposed to influence society transform it for your kingdom use us for your glory give us courage and boldness to fulfill your purposes on the earth we thank you and we bless you same words that I've spoken over him apply to you clay and you need to receive them too the same things that are going to happen in his life are the exact things that are going to happen to you 
he's stepping out stepping into something else you're stepping into something different something else and the exact anointing on your life is going to double because you chose to honor him you chose to serve him you chose to honor him you didn't think corporately you thought kingdom and that is what the lord is doing this thank you jesus thank you lord God bless you.